Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we are studying James chapter 1, verse 12. We are looking at what the Bible calls the crown of life. Friends, this is the sufferer's crown. This is the crown that is reserved for those believers who endured the trials of life. They stood under the pressures of life, and because they suffered well in this world, Christ is going to reward them with the crown of life. Friends, each of us who are born again, we can win this amazing crown given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to break down James chapter 1 where our main text is James 1:12, but we're going to link many other scriptures in James 1 to show the natural logic of the scriptures and how the truth stacks upon each other. I'm so glad you're listening today to this edition of Awakened to Grace. James chapter 1, verse 12. What a remarkable scripture it is. We're in the series right now studying the five crowns of scripture We laid the foundation by looking at week one at the judgment seat of Christ called the Bema. We explained all of that, how we are building our lives out of either one of two materials, either gold, silver, and precious stone, or hay and wood and stubble, things that will just burn up as God tests it with fire. So we learned in week one about how the quality or the value of our lives depend in eternity based on how we live now. And if our life and the motives of our life and the works that the Lord gives us opportunity to do, not for salvation, but because of our salvation, they are going to endure for all of eternity. And either they are going to grow more valuable as it's tested by fire and it's survives the the fire, it purifies in the fire, or we're going to suffer great loss. Not loss of salvation, but loss of reward, loss of privilege, loss of authority in the kingdom. That was week one. In week two, we dived into the crowns, and we covered what's called the victor's crown or the incorruptible crown, the imperishable crown found in 1 Corinthians 9. And we explained how Paul saw himself as a contestant, as a runner in a race, and then as a boxer in a ring. And oh, how I loved that sermon. We talked about how Paul, the the Greek word he used was literally to black the eye. And he said, what Paul is saying is I put on boxing gloves and I don't run aimlessly. I don't beat the air aimlessly. As a matter of fact, Paul didn't punch anyone. Paul didn't fight with other people. Paul contended with himself. And Paul says, when it comes to sin, if necessary, I will black my own eye before I allow sin to conquer me. Why? Because I'm running a race that we can all obtain the crown, which is called the victor's crown. Today, I want to look at what James teaches us in James 1.12 at the second crown we're going to study called the crown of life. The crown of life is for those who endure the hardships of life, for those who suffer well in this world. 
According to Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, this is for those who face persecution. This is for those who will one day face martyrdom. This is for those who go through trials and through tribulations. So yes, there are some saints, there are some believers who will lose their life in this world. The Bible says of them in Hebrews 11, of whom the world was not worthy. There are some who will literally lose their life for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the faith that they possess. The majority of us will never be asked to be a martyr. We will never be asked to lose our physical life for the name of Christ. But we are all asked to lay down our life, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We are all asked to go through the trials of this life, are we not? Paul said we enter the kingdom through many tribulations. Are you willing to do that? The point of my sermon today is that the trials we face, the pressures we're under, the sufferings we endure are not meaningless. God has great purpose in everything you face. God has great purpose in everything that you endure. And as a matter of fact, James is going to tell us, just look at the text with me, chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised. Amen. To those who love him. The crown of life is a promise of God. And what do we know about the promises of God? They are yes and amen through Jesus. So today, if you're going through a great hardship, today if you face a great difficulty, today if you're suffering sorrow, today if you're going through the trial of your life, oh, I have such good gospel news for you. There's a crown that's awaiting you. God is not just picking on you. God has not abandoned you. God has not forgotten you. As a matter of fact, you are right center in the very plan of God. Amen. And according to the scriptures, he has a crown of life that he cannot wait to give to you. Amen. Well, I have a question today. If the Bible says, blessed is the man that... Remain steadfast under trial. That word blessed, as you know, means happy. It means to be joyful. How many of you will encounter a trial, face a severity, go through a calamity, face some type of trial in life, and just look up to heaven and go, Oh, Lord, I feel so blessed that you brought this trial to me. Is anyone at that level spiritually? How many of us just thank God? Lord, I just thank you for what I'm going through right now. Amen. I feel so joyful over it. That's not our natural instinct, is it? So if the scriptures say, happy is the man, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, how in the world can you find joy in that? I'm so glad you asked because the scriptures tell us. Go back. Let's... Let's go back to James 1 
And I want you to understand who is James writing to? Who is this letter to, this epistle? He is writing to persecuted believers, suffering saints, those who were scattered abroad. These were precious saints who had to leave their homes, had to leave their jobs, had to leave their extended families over their faith. And James is going to write to them and he's going to encourage them and listen to what the Holy Spirit would say to us. Verse 1, he writes to those who are scattered abroad. Those, I want you to know these are not affluent, well-to-do believers. These are people who are persecuted, people who are suffering. When you understand that, you can read chapter 1 through a different lens, through a different perspective. Look at verse number 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Now, what am I talking about? If God is going to give a crown of life to those who endure well, to those who suffer well, to those who go through the trials of life well, if God is going to give those a crown of life, and the scriptures say, blessed is the man, happy is the man who can remain steadfast when he's under trial, then how do you do that? How do you see blessing in pain? How do you see blessing in loss? How do you see blessing when you suffer? Well, the scriptures plainly tell us. It tells, it commands us. This is an imperative. It says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Now, I love that that the Holy Spirit includes the word various here, Diverse trials, various trials, different kinds of trials. How many of you know you don't just face one type of trial in life? Have you ever been in a season of life where you've had to say, if it rains, it what? Pours. (laughs) Because it's not one thing, it's everything. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody ever had difficulty on every hand? Everybody, no matter which way you turned, which way you looked, you had trials. And you know what the Bible says? It says, I don't care what kind of trial you face. You can't put God in this little box. You can't put your faith in just this little box. I don't care what trial faces your life. In the midst of it all, you can count it joy. Oh, I like that. I like that. God isn't saying, listen, your faith only works at church. No, your faith works at work. (laughs) Your faith works in financial difficulty. Your faith works in health difficulties. Your faith works uh, when it comes to family issues. Your faith works in every area of life. Various kinds of trials, your faith will work. Amen? Amen? But many of us put our faith in this little box called church. And if it don't fit right here in this little box, it doesn't touch all the other areas of our life. No. No. It ought to touch every area of our life. And so listen to what James says. Count it all joy. How are you blessed under trials? You can be blessed in the midst of trials when you learn to count everything in your life as joy. 
This word count, I've had a great appreciation for for years. In the Greek, it literally is a financial term. It literally means to sit down and to calculate. Now, I want you to think about this. For many of us, when difficulties come into our life, do we calculate what God's doing? Or do we gripe? And do we complain? Do we go negative? Or do we calculate what God is doing and why he's allowing it? If you will come to the place in whatever circumstances you're in, whatever you're facing, whatever is beyond your control, if you will calculate what God wants to do in your faith right now, what God wants to do in your life right now, and you'll begin to evaluate it, and you'll begin to add it up, and you'll begin to calculate it, you'll see there's purpose in what you're facing. But see, when we're in the shallow end, and all we do is complain, and all we do is bicker, then we're not, we're not getting out of it what God intends for us. You know, Scripture in Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley. I don't like walking through valleys. Do you? You know what I do when I face a valley? I want to run through it and get through it as fast as I can and get out of it. But could it be that God has something for us there? Could it be that, as the old saying is, fruit doesn't grow on the mountaintops? Fruit grows down in the valley. And when God takes you through a season of the valley, what does God have for you there? And if all I'm going to do is complain, I'm not going to gain that rich and abundant fruit that only the valley can give me. Can we say amen today? Amen. Count, evaluate, calculate what God wants to do. Now, what am I going to calculate? All things. Not just the good things. Not just the blessed things. Many of us count our blessings. But do you ever calculate your difficulties? Many of us count what we love that God does. But do we calculate the Hard things that God allows? Why is that so important? Because let me tell you something. All things don't scare the Lord in our life. You know it? What does Romans 8, 28 say? He works what things? All things. The wise choices we make in life and the real dumb ones. And how many of us got some dumb ones? The good decisions we make, the bad decisions we make. God has an ability to work it all together for our good. And you know what? We are to copy that. We are to take our cue from that. And we are to say, if God has the sovereign ability to work out everything in my life, then I ought to have the spiritual sense to take the good and the bad, the blessing and the sorrow, the triumphs and the trials, and I ought to count them all as joy in my life. You know why? Because my father's in control of it all. And he's working it all for his glory, for my good. Can you see how I can take my cue from God? 
And I can take the all things in my life and say, no, I'm going to walk in joy. Now, what I appreciate about this verse is in the next verse, we're going to see how this produces steadfastness. It produces patience. But I want you to note what the Holy Spirit omits here. It does not say, count it all, count all things, count the good, the bad, evaluate, calculate all things in your life, and that will produce joy. It doesn't say that, does it? There's no producing of the joy right here, is there? You know why I think that is? Now, see, the Holy Spirit produces joy as his fruit in our life, Galatians 5, 22. Yes, the Holy Spirit's producing joy. But in this case, on our responsibility to evaluate, to calculate everything in our life as joy, that isn't being produced. That's deliberate. That is chosen. And some of you are asking God, when are you going to make me happy? And you know what God's asking you? When are you going to choose happiness? When are you going to deliberately choose joy and say, I'm going to take hold of it? See, later on, down in the text, and and God willing, I'm going to walk you through this, and I'm going to show you just how it all stacks together. But in case I don't get there at the end, let me say it now. Uh, Later on, down in the text, I believe you have to fact check me, verse uh, probably 25, maybe 24. Let's just say 21 to 25, I think. somewhere It says... Somebody tell me what it is. Be doers of the word. Tell me what that is. 22. Okay. I was way off. What's that mean? Be doers of the word. See, sometimes you just have to choose that you're going to walk in joy. And your emotions may not feel it, but your will chooses it. And then your emotions come along later. I've shared with you before, there are days when I'll wake up, I'll dream so vividly, I'll see every, boy, last night I saw so many things. You know what I saw last night? It was the craziest thing. I, was, I dreamed that I was doing my taxes. I was filling out, you know, those little, those little boxes, you know what I mean? Schedule, line, whatever, and they got those boxes. And I dreamed that I was filling out my taxes, and I could see every bit of it. And I woke up, and I thought, Lord, I never thought I'd be so happy to do taxes, but I was. <laughs> Because I could see it all. But I, I'll wake up from a wonderful dream or seeing everything or seeing people that I remember, their faces. And then I'll wake up and it's pitch black. Those are hard days. Those are days that I need in my memory bank. Those are days that I need anchored and, and, and rooted down in my heart. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And what I have to do is say, I'm not going to be a hearer of the word. I'm going to be a doer of the word. And what's the word say to do? Choose joy. Count it all joy. So how do I be a doer of the word? What's the word say? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. Amen. And I get up and I make my coffee. Amen. 
and my emotions may be way back there, but my will is right here. You get a little coffee in me. You get a little word in me, and I'm going to be just fine. Amen. And you're going to be fine, too, because you're going to be blessed as you remain steadfast under your trial. So how do you obtain this joy? I'll, I'll tell you the secret. You choose it. You count it. Friends, that is a deliberate, that is an intentional act of faith to count all things as joy. Amen. Now, that brings me to my next question. Then where is there joy in the midst of suffering? Where do you find joy in that? I'm so glad you asked. Verse 3. Because you know, brothers, you know, sisters, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, come on, say, can we say amen right now? Now, I, I grew up on the old King James. Anybody grow up on the King James? In the old King James, it says that tribulation worketh patience. I like that a little bit better. Tribulation worketh patience. You know why? Because let me tell you, what you're suffering right now, what you're encountering right now, what you're up against right now, it's got a job in your life. It's at work for you. It is to your good. It is to your benefit. And God has great purpose in how he wants to use it. Amen. It's working. It's what it's producing in you. And where is the joy? The joy is when I know, listen, God's not thrown me out here in no man's land. God's not pushed me out into the unknown and said, Chad, figure it out the best you can. Good luck. I hope you do good. I don't know why this happened in your life, Chad. I don't know why you're going to. No. There is such purpose in it that God says, here's your confidence. You know that the testing of your faith is producing something. My joy is the fact God knows well what's going on in my life. And he has great purpose. Alan Redpath, that great pastor of the Moody Church of Chicago years ago, he used to say, there is nothing that comes into my life that has not first went through the throne of God. And God said that's good for him. It's good. It's going to build her faith. It's going to build his faith. He's going to learn how to be steadfast. That's my refiner's fire. It's good, brothers. It's good, sisters. Don't despise the trials that you encounter. Now, notice, go back to verse 2. Notice the word encounter, because that's, that's an important word. Count it all joy, my brothers. And see, that's significant. You know, this isn't for everybody. This is for believers. If somebody... If somebody is outside the faith and they go, well, Chad, does that mean all things work together in my life? No, I can't say that to them. Because all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. 
Well, Chad, if, if I'm not living right and, and I'm not surrendered to Christ, can I count all things as joy? No, you can't. This is for those who are in the Lord. So he says, my brothers. That's significant. Don't miss that. You, you, you have to have a faith in God before faith is going to work in your life, right? So he says, my brothers, count it all joy when you encounter Trials of various kinds. Do you know what that word encounter means? It means a calendar appointment. Oh, I love this. That means a scheduled appointment. Do you know what the Holy Spirit said to me when when I began to think about this? The Holy Spirit said, Chad, if a trial in your life has a calendar date, it has a calendar beginning, then be assured it has a calendar ending. If it's got a scheduled beginning, it's got a scheduled ending. So remain steadfast under it. Can we say amen today? It tells me what you face is not by accident. It's not certainly by coincidence. Do you think you serve a coincidental God? You think you serve a God that's just haphazard and, well, boy, I can't believe that happened. There is, a, there is a horrendous doctrine that I think is a fallacy. I think it is a horrible doctrine. It's called open theism. Open theism teaches that because God doesn't know how you are going to react or how you're going to respond, it means God doesn't know the future. I'm thinking, people who teach this, do they read the Bible? Do they read in Isaiah that God declares the end from the beginning? See, what? It's, it's, it's a horrendous teaching that God himself doesn't know the future. No, uh, you know, I, I was counseling with someone this week. And we were talking about how God can see things that we can't. Could you imagine having God's vantage point? Where God is outside of time. God sees the beginning of our trials. He sees the ending of them. And he sees everything in between. You and I don't have that vantage point, do we? You and I can't see into next week. You and I can't see into tomorrow, can we? You and I can't see an hour from now. We don't have the same vantage point that God does. But because God has the vantage point of being outside of time and he can see everything about our lives, then how much more meaningful is it to God when you walk by faith? How much more meaningful is it to God when you say, I don't know what the outcome's going to be. I don't know how all this is going to pan out. I don't know how it's all going to shake out. I don't know how victory is going to come or when victory is going to come. I don't know when breakthrough is going to come, but I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. Do you know how meaningful that is to the Lord? Because you can't see what he can see. So we trust him. Amen. When you encounter a scheduled appointment, a calendar date, when you encounter trials of all different kinds, all various kinds, because you and I have trials of all different kinds, we have all of God's grace for every one of them. Amen? So count it as joy. Blessed is that person. Happy you will be if you learn to count it as joy in your life. So 
He says, knowing that the testing of your faith is working something, it's producing something. Patience has got a J-O-B in your life. It's got, uh, tribulation has got a job. It's literally working in your life because of that. Then look what he says. Then let patience, let steadfastness have its full effect. So go back down to verse 12 and connect these two. So now we understand, blessed is the man. Why is someone happy that's in the midst of a trial? Because we've learned to count it as joy. We've learned to count that experience as joy. So now we understand, blessed is the man. Now watch this. Who remains steadfast under trial. <laughs> now, this is where many of us are living right now. Sometimes you have to remain steadfast. In other words, you can't give up. In other words, you've got to keep going. In other words, it's always too soon to quit. You've got to keep trusting God. You've got to keep walking by faith. You got to put one foot in front of the other and keep going. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? <clears throat> and why is that so important? Why does God not just bail us out in an instant? Why does God allow us to go through things over long periods of time? You ever ask yourself that question? When God is full, well, capable of changing our circumstances, in a second, in a moment, why does he allow them to drag on? Because of verse 4. Let steadfastness, let patience. <laughs> you, you ought to just circle that word let in verse 4. Allow it. Give it permission. Stop kicking against it. Let steadfastness have its full effect. What a wonderful scripture. Do you know why I must remain steadfast? Because its full effect is being worked out in my life. I don't want to be lacking spiritually. I don't want to be incomplete spiritually. No, you know what God's doing? He's preparing me for eternity. <laughs> He's preparing me for the weight of glory. He's preparing me to shine as the stars shine for all of eternity. So why do I want to rush the good work of God in my life? Let steadfastness have its full effect. So what's God working in you right now? What's he doing in you? Are you able to calculate it? You able to distinguish it? You able to calculate and say, why is God allowing what he is? Oh, I'll choose joy in the midst of it. It may be that God's doing a greater work in you than you could ever realize so that God can do a greater work through you than what you could ever realize. Let him do his work. Let steadfast, steadfastness have its full effect. So now go back to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains. Why are we remaining in this thing? Because it's having its full effect. Who remains steadfast. 
just note this. You don't have to turn there, but just note this. 2 Peter 3.17. Peter warns believers. I want you to listen to this. Say amen if you're listening to this right now. Peter does not say, beware lest you fall into negligent sin. doesn't say that. Beware lest you fall into a ditch of sin. doesn't say that. Instead, Peter writes to the church, Beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness. Now, isn't that interesting? Not that you would fall into sin, but that you would fall from being steadfast. Can you see why James says, let steadfastness be produced in you. How is it produced? Only one way, through the trials that we face. By the testing of our faith. The testing of our faith is what produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Remain steadfast. Don't fall from your own stability. Don't fall from your own steadfastness. Now, For the one, what's he say, that remains steadfast, that stands under the trial, will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. What a wonderful verse. You ought to commit that to memory. Now, as I transition here and I'll begin to close here, find it interesting how James ties this. You know, there's a great difference between the testing of your faith and the temptations of sin. And watch how the Holy Spirit is going to contrast, okay? Watch this. The testing of your faith is producing something, right? It's doing good in your life. As a matter of fact, you fast forward to the end for a believer, and what do we receive? The crown of life. Do you know what awaits in eternity for Christians? The water of life? The tree of life? The book of life, the crown of life. Is anybody picking up on a theme? But do you know what he waits those who are without Christ? Eternal death. Now watch how James contrasts, and I want you to see the contrast here. Verse number 13, he's going to say, now, now remember what he's just, he has just done 12 incredible scriptures of clear teaching on the testings of our faith, of the trials of life. They are good for you. Embrace them. Let, allow them to do its work in your life because it's producing something rich, something wonderful, something God-glorifying, but not temptation. Watch the contrast, verse 13. Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt anyone with evil. You realize God will never tempt you to set you up for failure. You know that? God will never send a temptation to you and say, let's just see what she'll do. Let's see how strong he is. God will never set you up for failure like that. He'll never tempt you with evil. He'll never tempt you with sin. There is, a, there is a great difference between the testing of your faith and the temptation to sin. Testings come from God. They come to enable our faith, to strengthen our faith. Temptations come 
from sinful desire, from Satan, to cause us to stumble, to cause us to fall. Tests come. They typically originate from circumstances on the outside of our life. Temptations, you know where they originate from? The inside. Look what James says. When we are deceived, when we are lured away, when we, when we by our own, watch what he says, desires are lured away, that's when we're in trouble. And what does he say? Desire, when it is conceived, brings forth sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Eternal death. You see the difference between death and life in these scriptures? For the believer, you'll receive a crown of life. For the unrighteous, death. Lust, desire, when it is conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, watch what he's going to say. He's going to say, so don't be deceived. Verse 16, don't be deceived in these matters. In other words, he's saying, know what a test is, know what a temptation is. Know what your sinful nature is and what it produces and what it leads to, how it lures you away. And know what God's nature is. For what's he say in the next verse? Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whose there's no shadow, there's no variance, there's no turning. In other words, God is consistent as tomorrow's rising sun. God is consistent. He'll never change on you. He'll never... I want, some of you grew up in homes where your parents were never there and you never had any stability in your life. You never had any consistency in your life. Let me tell you, God is not like that. He's not like that. Matter of fact, he says in Timothy that even when we're faithless, God remains faithful. God will never change on you. God, will, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's his character, amen? And James is saying, draw the contrast between your nature and sin. Those of us that are born again, we got a new nature, amen? we got God's nature in us now. But understand the difference between sinful nature and God's nature. Understand the difference between the crown of life and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. And then he goes on and he's going to say, verse, I think it's verse number 19. He's going to go on and I'm not going to walk all the way through it. I'm going to wrap it up here. But he's going to go on and talk about how by the will of God, We're saved by the word of God. Then he goes, all this rampant wickedness in your life, all this excessive sin in your life, get rid of it. Therefore, put away all these things. I told you I grew up in the old King James. And I remember reading this as a young boy. And I remember so clearly it would say superfluity of naughtiness. And I would think, what is superfluity of naughtiness? But do you know what the Greek word picture is? Weeds overgrowing a garden. Oh, now don't miss this. Here's the dessert now. Don't don't miss the dessert. We've had the salad. We had some bread. We had a good ribeye. Now let's, let's get some dessert here. Full course. Why is it a garden overgrown with weeds? 
why the word picture? Why in the Greek is that? Why is the Holy Spirit conveying this? Because go back to verse 3. What's God want to do? He wants to produce in you. But see, God can't produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit in me when there's rampant, excessive weeds of sin. The weeds will out, it'll take it over. So you know what he says I have to do? (laughs) I got to get down there and I got to remove all those weeds of sin. I, I, I can't allow these sins. I can't allow it. No, what am I going to allow? Steadfastness. I'm going to allow patience to be worked in me. But I'm not going to allow sin. Instead, I'm going to remove the rampant, excessive weeds. I'm going to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save my soul. And then, what? see, now we come full circle. Now what does he say? Don't be a hearer only of the word, but be Well, how do I do the word? Pull out those excessive weeds of sin. Let patience have its full effect. Count all things as joy. Stop complaining, Chad. And start counting as joy. Let's bow our heads. Do you realize that what you're suffering is not in vain? Do you realize, again, verse 3, knowing, knowing that the testing of your faith, in other words, do you realize what the testing of your faith is really doing? I think if we could see from God's perspective, and that's why we have the Word of God, it would change our perspective. And rather than seeing the trials of our life as God upset with us, we would see the trials of life as the scripture tells us. Oh, I'm blessed for facing this. Oh, this is producing joy in me. It's producing steadfastness in me. God is preparing me for eternity. What a difference. Does God need to change your attitude? Does God need to change your perspective? Let, allow the word of God to take its effect. Receive this today. Go home and reread it over and over this week. Read one phrase at a time and just think on it. Read one verse at a time and ask the Lord to open your understanding. That's how I read the Bible. Oh, God, open my understanding. Open my understanding. Help me to see. And let the word root in you and build you up in your faith in Christ. What you're going through, don't despise it. Glorify God through. Don't despise it. See it for your good. 
you'll glorify God in a unique way that you'll never have the ability to do again in eternity because in eternity we'll never suffer. We'll never face another trial again. Right now, right now is your only opportunity in all of existence and all of eternity to glorify God. Do it well. Do it well. For there's a crown of life that awaits you. Have you checked out our collection of books? I would love to invite you to read the books I have written where you can find them on Amazon, you can find them on Audible, you can find them on Kindle or at awakentograce.com.